Welcome to Self-Care Hacks, the short podcast for overwhelmed and stressed out women who want to learn how to take better care of themselves. I'm your host, Anita Ojeda. I used to suffer from overwhelm and stress too, but I've learned how to take care of myself and take care of others. You can too. My guest today is Carol Bovee. She is a teacher and a mom and a wife, and when her little boy was four, he was diagnosed with leukemia. What kind of leukemia? Acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which I guess if you're going to get leukemia, it's the good kind because the the your odds are better to get healed. Okay. <laughs> and were you teaching at that time? Um, yes, I was a halftime teacher and um, it was our first week of school. Oh my. <laughs> Crazy. And how did you how did you discover that he had leukemia. Well, our whole family had gotten sick and one by one we got better and he didn't. And he was probably the healthiest child in the family. So I kept thinking he's going to get better. He's going to get better Uh, until bruises started appearing on him. And by the time I could get him to the doctor, we lived an hour from town. Um, The bruises were coming out all over his body. And of course, as a teacher, I'm a mandatory reporter. So it was terrifying thinking I might lose my kid. I had no idea where the bruises were coming from. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Wow. That would be doubly frightening. Yeah. And and then what happened when you guys got to the hospital? So at the hospital, it was a, it's a small town hospital. And so they told us, uh, they knew looking at him, I could tell by their faces that we were dealing with something more serious than being uh, low in iron, which is what I Googled. Uh, (laughs) And um, they They uh, told us that when they finally got a blood count after quite some time trying, because by that point he was crying tears and it was all very terrifying and having reality seep into you a little bit at a time by the faces on the medical people and watching your son deteriorate before your eyes was kind of terrifying. Mm -hmm. And then they said that um, his white cell counts were too high for their machines to read. So they were sending us up to the children's hospital and of course, going through the stages of, I guess, grief at that point already, I'd hit denial because my first thought was, well, small town hospital, they can't read his blood counts, right? That's all I heard. And that's all I carried with me uh, to the hospital. So long story short, my husband had to take my, my son up to the hospital and I took my girls home to find a place for them to stay. And so I got up to the hospital about two in the morning and my husband had texted me the directions to get to their room, which I was kind of surprised that they were already in a room. I expected to be in the emergency room. And he didn't say where they were. He just told me the room number and how to get there. And getting off the elevator and seeing the words children's cancer ward um, was a shocking moment. Wow. My my denial had to go away at that point. (laughs) Wow. So you you both got tossed headfirst into caregiving for a child with a catastrophic cancer diagnosis. Absolutely. So how did you handle that? Driving my girls home from the hospital, they were crying, I was crying, and suddenly I realized that I really didn't need to be crying. I needed to stop and I needed to be in control mm-hmm. because I needed them not to be afraid. And I'm a strong Christian woman. So I know that God has got my children and my family, and I was determined to be that strong Christian woman of faith. And so I handled it like a warrior. 
<laughs> I, I did everything I was supposed to do. Uh, we listened intently to all instructions. I made charts and uh, time schedules. And my husband and I went back and forth with who's in the hospital and who's home with the girls. And we were going to, we were going to kick this thing. And, and how long did that last? Well, time gets blurry. Um, Andrew's treatment was three and a half year treatment. Wow. And we did really well for a long time. I stayed strong right up until I fell apart. Okay. <laughs> about the time Andrew began to get better, I had used up all my reserves because that was about a year. Uh-huh. And then life kind of hits you because your body can only sustain things for so long. And along the way, what, what did people told you about taking care of yourself? <laughs> um, you know, the very first day after they had done his spinal tap and got some of the final blood results at the larger hospital, one of the first things the physician that sat my husband and I down to tell us the, the diagnosis and the prognosis and the treatment plan, I remember him stacking his papers and saying, you know, this is going to be a long haul. And so you need to take care of yourselves along the way. And I remember nurses telling me that because in the hospital, we slept on those little tiny pull-out, pull-out beds. And oh, was, yeah. Yeah, the joy of those things. Um, in the children's hospital, the bed is actually kind of in the wall. Um, oh, so it was wow. a couch and a bed. So I spent a lot of nights on those, as did my husband. And, and I remember the different people telling me, Carol, you need to take care of yourself. And the nurses were so kind. They would make sure that I went and got something to eat. Um, but sometimes... You know, when you're under stress, it's hard to eat. But I was often told to take care of myself. But I had a four-year-old fighting for his life. And right. we had some nights where his life was in the balance. And of course, you can't sleep through that. When the child needs to be held, you pick him up and hold him. And there is nothing about that I don't think that I could or would do differently because you have to do what you have to do in those moments. Right. Now, in, in all they're telling you that you needed to take care of yourself, did they ever give you any guidelines or like you need to do this and this and this at least this often in order to take care of yourself? No, it's a very vague, you need to take care of yourself. And I, I remember sometimes just staring at the people that would say that to me because I literally like, how, how do you do that? How do you put your child down and go get some me time? You know, it's a big phrase, get, you know, get some me time. Well, I didn't have me time. It was a four hour drive to the hospital I had two kids, you know, two daughters at home and a son in the hospital. And me time just wasn't really a thing because I also had to be teaching as much as I could. So what would you advise other caregivers who might be at the beginning of their caregiving journey or in the middle or towards the end of it? What advice would you give them for actually taking care of themselves? Because you've been there and you know what you could have done and what you didn't do and how other people could have helped you. Do you have any pointers for other caregivers? I do. I don't know if you remember, Anita, but this is what first started you and I talking together about this because our phrase kept coming up. Don't you wish you would have known or don't you wish somebody would have told you? Exactly. Um, and, and also, don't you just wish we could have understood better because you're doing what you can in the moment and you, you can't change that. I've thought about it a lot actually, because what could I do differently? I needed to know that I had served my son the best I could, right? but I did not actively seek help unless somebody else was creative 
giving me help. I just did the best I could in that moment. So I actually have made a list of things. Number one for me was delegate the little things. I couldn't give up. The worry was ever present in my head. I can't hand that to somebody else. I needed right. to take care of my child. He didn't really want anybody else to take care of him. I needed to be my daughter's mom. Um, but I really didn't need to wash my windows or mow the lawn or do some of those things that other people were willing to do. And I just kept saying, I've got this, I've got this because I needed to, to have the control. Um, so for me, maybe it was a, a, an opportunity for me to swallow my pride that I didn't always take because I wanted to be that strong woman. I wanted to have it all under control. So delegating the little things, give up the things that you can give up. Along that same line, my second thing would be to make a list. People offer to help at your lowest point. So when, when your name comes up again on the prayer chain is when people say, hey, how can I help? And in those traumatic moments, I could never think of a single thing for somebody to do to help me. Right. And now I think it would be a great idea to have a, a Google Doc that you could say, here, I'm going to share my needs with you. Pick one. Right. Because I could never think of them in the moment. Too much uh, chemo brain going on and just not, not being able to think clearly. So make a list of what you need. Also, maybe make a list of people that offer to help so that when something does come up, you can give them a call. Perfect. And make sure you get their phone number yeah. or their email. Yes. Because yes. sometimes almost strangers will offer to help. They do. People are wonderful, actually. And mm -hmm. complete strangers will do amazing things for you if, if you allow it. So, so my number three thing on the list is connected to number one and two, and that is just ask. Mm -hmm. um, ask your pastor. Ask a coworker because people don't know how to help. And... If you are looking strong and capable, they're just going to think you've got it all under control. So when I was kind of coming unglued after a year of work, somebody said to me, Carol, you're always the helper. Allow someone else the blessing of helping you. Wow. And I had never thought of it that way before. And I, I love that because I like to help people. It makes us feel good to help right. people. And I had never thought of being on the receiving end of that. And, and actually maybe it was giving somebody a blessing to help me. It was a whole new thought process for me. And it's one I've tried to remember. <laughs> it's not easy though, is it? it? It really isn't. I'm kind of a private person. I'm an introvert. Mm -hmm. And um, it's hard to say, I don't have this all under control but people do like to help. Awesome. We were handed amazing gifts throughout the thing that I never would have thought of doing. Like somebody gave us a gas card. Somebody wow. came over just to fold my laundry. Wow. What a blessing. Exactly. Yeah. And then because I am independent, my fourth item on my list is be willing to let, let go, be willing to give up control. Maybe Maybe things won't get done the way you picture them being done. That's okay. You don't have to be Superman and Wonder Woman all rolled up in one. Allow that the outcome might be different, but maybe it's more of a blessing that way. Exactly. I know that I have a hard time letting go of my ideal of how I think things should be. You know, my towels need to be folded a certain way. And sometimes someone will help me out with the laundry and I'm like, I have to tie my hands behind my back so I don't refold the towels. Yeah. So you Silly just little have things like that. Let them, let them go. <laughs> yes. Let them go. My fifth one is a, is a big one for me because I say, search out those quiet moments. There aren't many, if you're a full-time caregiver trying to hold down a job and, right. and deal with the rest of life, but you have, you have to seek them. For me, one of the things I did was writing. 
Mm -hmm. um, just let my feelings out on paper. But also I wish that I would have done a little more self-evaluating. I put all of my thoughts into the care, the caregiving instead of taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. I should have monitored myself more and seen that I was turning downhill. <laughs> so what, what are some of the signs in retrospect that you see in yourself that you were headed downhill well, without you brakes have, in your car? Yeah, you, you have, um, you and I have joked a lot about chemo brain. We, we didn't have it, but we still had the effects, that fuzzy brain feeling, that feeling for me, the word I used all the time was overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. Mm. Um, I never said I was depressed. I never said I couldn't do this. I just kept saying, this is so overwhelming. And I kept waiting for that. Um, we're going to get back to normal, right? We're just waiting to get back to normal. And then you realize that normal has changed. Exactly. There's no going back. You just have to move forward. And so letting myself grieve that loss would have been a helpful thing at the time rather than yes. five or six years later. Yes. Um, I think both you and I did a lot of grieving the loss, but way later than what we should have been doing it. Exactly. Um, so it's important to grieve it in the time. Did anyone ever offer you, hey, you know, there's a support group for parents of kids with cancer. Did you have any opportunities for that? I was offered that. Mm -hmm. In my, my case is unique. And sometimes I craved that. Um, right. At the children's hospital, they had some wonderful support groups for parents. But because we lived four hours from the children's hospital, it would have been another eight hour trip to get to a support group. And I felt like that was counterproductive. Yeah. So we ended up never being able to go to those, but I would honestly highly recommend them. And there's a lot more support groups online now too. There's Facebook groups in your area. When you can talk with somebody who's going through something similar, you don't feel like you're crazy anymore. You know, maybe I am a little crazy, but um, <laughs> no, finding, you're out that, <laughs> finding out that somebody is in the crazy with you, um, right. it's very comforting. You're not crazy. You're just dealing with what life has handed you and it's okay. Yeah. So yeah. I would highly recommend it. I don't think our hospital in Bozeman, when Pedro had cancer, they didn't have a cancer center. The hospital was too small. Yeah. So there was no one offering cancer support groups, but within a year or two of his recovery, they had a cancer center. People were pretty much unsure what to do with his cancer. So they certainly didn't have support groups. Yeah. And you also ended up doing the long distance care, which exactly. adds a whole other element. My, my last one is, is a tough one for me. I've already mentioned that I was ready to jump in and, and prove that with God, I can do all things, you know, uh -huh. my number six thing is just to expect less of yourself. It's okay to let some things go. It's okay to let go of responsibilities to bring a neutropenic cancer patient home. Your house did have to be clean, but maybe I didn't have to keep up some of the other things that I tried to maintain my definition of normal. And I should have changed that definition mm -hmm. and allowed myself to just let go of some things. It's tough because everyone has this expectation of what it's going to be like. And they share that expectation with you, even if they've never been in that situation. So you can feel like other people are judging how you're doing cancer and you build up these expectations for yourselves. It's crazy. Well, and it's hard because people watching you have no idea. Like once my son's hair grew back, we were over the battle of cancer in, in people's minds that were watching us from the outside. He looked normal. They didn't right. realize that we were still going every week to chemotherapy. Oh my goodness. Um, they didn't realize that we were still going through. So the offers to help lessen 
um, about the time I realized that I should have been accepting those offers of help, <laughs> um, they, they kind of quit coming. You know, people have their own lives too. So it's right. a good thing. But at the same time, that's when I should have asked, you know. Right. So he had chemotherapy once a week for two years after his initial treatment or? Well, the program has a lot of variants to it okay. because there's intensive treatment and then there's some just maintenance treatment and mm-hmm. then back to intensive. So it was kind of fluctuating. We had sometimes appointments every couple of weeks, sometimes appointments twice a week. So you never knew, but luckily we didn't have to keep going back to the children's hospital. We had a one that was about an hour and a half away to, to do a lot of the follow-up. So it wasn't as bad, but oh, that's good. Yeah, but three still, and a half that's... years of constant treatment is a lot. <laughs> yes, that is. Ten months about did me in, so yeah. I can just imagine how the, the long haul would be. As you and I have talked, we, we are blessed with the miracle. Our cancer yes. patients have survived, and so we're blessed. Yes, but that doesn't, are. Mean, that doesn't mean we haven't gone through the stress of, of the situation. So Exactly. Mm-hmm. Most people say stress but blessed, and we say blessed but stressed. <laughs> it's a journey trying to figure out how to handle all of that stress. You know, just because you're blessed doesn't mean you automatically know how to handle the stress. Yes. It's been a learning curve for that's, us and others, I'm sure. Yeah. So you would say that caregiver burnout is a real thing? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there's, there's no doubt about it because the attention of necessity, of course, goes to the patient. Right. And you're the person getting them through and responsibility is heavy on your shoulders and it's a hard thing to maintain over time. Right. Especially over years and years, like you guys had to go through. Yeah. Do you have any tips for people who aren't caregivers, but are friends of caregivers? Because I'm sure that not everyone listening to this podcast will be a caregiver, but they might know someone who is in the midst of a caregiver journey. Absolutely. I feel like that's a whole nother list of things right there. But I think that my number one thing would be go ahead and push in a little bit. Okay. The people, the people that did random things for us, there was one day where we had a it was a 13 hour. I was gone from home with my little one. We left at three in the morning. We got home after dark and I had a friend that had gotten into my house and all of my laundry was folded on my dining room table. Oh, wow. And my son had fallen asleep in the car and I carried him in in the dark. And when I came around the corner into the kitchen, I, I will never forget those little piles of laundry because she didn't know whose was what. And so she right. just folded everything and it was all over the table. And I just... I just sat down and cried. It was the most beautiful gift. And she did many of things like that. I would find supper waiting for me when I got home sometimes, all packaged and labeled and ready to go. Somebody gave me a cafeteria food voucher card. Uh-huh. Uh, just those little things that let you know you're being taken care of. I had a friend that would call me up and say, have you been out of the hospital lately? And I would say, no. <laughs> She'd say, I'm coming over. And she brought a pile of books to read to my son. And said, wow. you go. And I remember the first time I had no idea where to go or what I should be doing with myself. Right. And I just, uh, I walked around a, a grocery store, sort of in a stupor, shocked at how much life was going on. Right. Continuing on when I'd been in the hospital for so long, but she literally had to shove me out the door. Wow. And that takes a good friend to override that. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. And it was right. very good for me. So 
push a little bit. Keep, keep offering. I would say keep offering. Okay. Yeah. Don't feel rebuffed because sometimes what a friend needs you to do is to make that Google doc and share it with everyone else and just present it as a fact. So-and-so is coming over to do this at this time. Yes. Yes. Um, Because in our, in our moments of stupor, we didn't always think clearly and to have somebody arrange meals for us or to help us out with anything. Sometimes our lawn would be mowed, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. those are huge things and they're tangible reminders that there's a a caring community behind you and it's very needed. I'm getting a little emotional here. I know I am too. I'm tearing (laughs) up. It's like, this was so long ago, but still. It comes right back, doesn't it? (laughs) It certainly does. All right. Well, thank you so much, Carol, for being my guest today. And I'm sure I'll have you on again. It's my pleasure. Don't forget Carol's hacks for taking care of yourself as a caregiver. Hack number one, delegate the little things. Hack number two, make lists of things that need doing. Hack number three, ask. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Hack number four, be willing to let go especially if you have perfectionistic tendencies. Hack number five, search out quiet moments. Hack number six, expect less of yourself. If you would like to download a free caregiver helpers template, if you know someone who is a family caregiver and want to help out, you can go to selfcarehacks.net and click on the little podcast icon right under the blog heading, and you'll find a link to the show notes for this episode. Or, as I just discovered, you can find the show notes on iTunes under the episode SCH023. Come back next week and listen when I interview Michelle Marin at Living Our Days on the new Mommy Guilt. It's not what you expect. Take care of yourselves, my friends. You are worth it. You can find me at selfcarehacks.net or check out the show notes for links to my social media accounts. If you enjoyed this podcast, take the time to tell a friend. Together we can build each other up and teach each other how to take better care of ourselves. I'll see you here next Tuesday with more self-care hacks to help you overcome the overwhelm.